good to see everybody here this morning. A lot of people here looking back at me now. It's good. All smiling faces. This is great. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter 5. We were in Mark's Gospel last week. We're looking at uh, the story of the man that uh, was once known as Blind Bartimaeus. He's not blind anymore. The Lord healed him. And uh, I believe he's in heaven now. I believe we'll meet him one day. Maybe we'll get to talk to him about what what we read about last week. But again, uh, today I want us to be in Mark's uh, Gospel. We're going to look at another series of events. And I think uh, what, we're, what we're looking about at today, it's Father's Day, by the way. Happy Father's Day to those of you who that apply to uh, directly. Happy Father's Day to those of you who have been a father figure to other people, whether you've got children of your own or not. I can remember, especially when I, as a young man, working with men that were much older than I was, and they told me things that I wouldn't know for myself for several decades. They taught me a lot, taught me what to look forward to, what to avoid. I, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I would much rather learn from other people's mistakes than to learn from my own, because I've done both. And learning from my owner a lot more painful than learning from someone else's. So if you've had that opportunity to be uh, an influence on anyone's life, uh, happy Father's Day to you. So this is a good day for that. Today we're going to look at a, a story of how the faith and the actions of one father impacted two specific people as he, uh, as he set in, in motion a series of events. The people that were impacted by his actions were there were people of different ages, different backgrounds, they had uh, completely different situations, but that both of them had one overwhelming need. They needed the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed to come in contact with Him. And this Father helped bring that to pass. And so I thought it was a good day for us to look at that. Uh, I've titled the message, actually, A Woman, A Little Girl, and Jesus. And it's here in Mark chapter uh, 5 that we're going to read about this. So I'm going to start reading in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, if you want to follow along. It says, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Now earlier in Mark's gospel, we read the, uh, the account, uh, many Bibles refer to it as the maniac of Gadara. Jesus and his disciples had gone over into the, uh, the area of Gadara, and they met a man who lived in the teen, in the. I had a tongue-tied problem this morning during Sunday school, and it hasn't left me, so please bear with me. He was a man that was living in the tombs. He was, he was possessed by demons, multiple demons. And when uh, Jesus asked what the demon's name was, he, there's a reply was, you may remember, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the, the Lord had cast those demons out, and that man was, he was restored in, in a miraculous way. That's what, that's what they're just coming back from. And so it says, and when they were passed over again by ship to the other side, they're They've left the area of Gadara. They've come back, and many say that they were, they were now in the area of Capernaum, which was sort of a home base, a, a play, more of Jesus' hometown at that point in time. So that's where they are. Verse 22 says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, 
And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her daughter, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the, the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was, when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was at the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture that we're about to look at. And Lord, we see here uh, a father who was greatly concerned for his daughter. His, his desire was to bring Jesus to her. And Father, as we look at this passage and we look at the interaction that uh, G- the Lord Jesus had with people, we pray that you might teach us through this and that, uh, Lord, there might be lessons that we can learn uh, today uh, through this passage. Thank you for each person who is here. I pray, Father, that you might open our hearts to receive a message from your word. This is your word. And, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be uh, pleased to instruct us from it today. Show us what we need to learn. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'll remind you one more time. I've said this before. If you will, remember these are real events. These are real people. It's not a parable. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a story someone made up. This was an event, a series of events that happened. So as we, as we read through it, try to, try, try to put yourself in their place. Try to see this as more than just words on a page. These are people who had needs just like we did. They, had, they were busy people, much as we are. Uh, they may have had pains. They may have had worries. All of that. And as, as just try to put yourself in the position and think the way maybe they would have thought as they saw these things happen. Verse 21, Jesus and his disciples, we said earlier, they were back home, uh, in, possibly in the area of Capernaum. They had been in there in Gadara. It was a very eventful trip. They may have been tired. But it says that when they got back across the Sea of Galilee, as was often the case, much people gathered around to, to hear Jesus teach, to uh, listen to what he had to say to possibly be healed of sicknesses or, or different things like that. It seemed like everywhere he went at this point there were there were crowds of people. And can you imagine that? You're on a boat, it's peaceful on the Sea of Galilee and it's a nice day to be out on the boat and you look across the shore and you see, oh man, there's a whole bunch of people over there. There's a mob. We're going to have to get out of this boat and see it. Now I don't think that was the opinion of the Lord, by the way, but I think his, his apostles who may have been in that boat with him may have been thinking, oh, could we just have a little bit of rest? But Jesus looked at this obviously as another opportunity. Why? Because he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he was ready to deal with these people. And he was trying to teach these apostles to have that same opinion. 
And so he welcomed people. Verse 22 said that a ruler of the synagogue there in that area, his name was Jairus, came to him and we're told that he fell at his feet. That's an attitude of worship, isn't it? That's a posture of worship. He came to Jesus and he fell down in front of him. He had a need. And we read these verses. You know what his need was by now. This little girl is very sick. She's to the point of death. And so he's got a need. He comes to Jesus and he bows down to him because he's the one he believes can help. Charles Spurgeon, I read these words this morning for the first time. I don't remember reading it before. It said, there's a relief and comfort in bowing before God when our case is at its worst. Even amid the dust of death, prayer kindles the lamp of hope. This Jairus had hope because Jesus was here. And he, so he came to him, he fell down in front of him. And I'll say to you that very likely he fell down and bowed in front of Jesus in opposition to the other religious leaders. He was a ruler of, one of the rulers of the synagogue. And I got a feeling there were other rulers of the synagogue. There were other religious leaders in the area who would have frowned very much on Jairus falling at the feet of Jesus because they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't like him. They distrusted him. Uh, they, they didn't like what he had to teach. They didn't like the idea that he would heal on a Sabbath day. So many things, but it didn't seem to bother Jairus, did it? Jairus had a need, and he believed that Jesus was the one who could meet that need, and so that outweighed any prejudice that anybody else he, he knew had against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he came and he bowed down to him. He fell at his feet. In verse 23, he pleaded with Jesus. He said, my daughter is at the point of death. Literally, that means she was at her last breath. My daughter is hanging on by a thread, is what he's saying. And he comes and he falls down before the Lord, and he, said, he, he told him that he wanted him to come and lay his hands on her. And he said, I want you to come and heal her. And if you do that, she'll live. That's faith, isn't it? His daughter is on, she's just hanging on by the barest of threads. And he comes and he says, Lord Jesus, I know that you can help her if, she, if you'll come. There's no mention at this point that, that there was ever a doctor involved, is it? Maybe there have been plenty of doctors and maybe they just had all failed. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us. Maybe it, Jairus was simply convinced from what he had heard that they didn't need a doctor. They just needed the Lord Jesus. But for whatever reason, he came knowing that Jesus was the one who could help. He put, had his faith in Him. I think uh, there's probably no doubt that he had heard about Jesus' miracles. Everyone in the area had heard about Jesus' miracles by this time. And so he's the one that he seeks out to help his little girl. Verse 24, Jesus agreed to go with him. And there's no mention of any kind of discussion. No, no question of, well, why did why'd you come see me instead of going to see a doctor? No question of, well, are you sure I'm the one that can help you? What, what makes you think I can help you? There's no discussion at all. Jairus comes, he falls down, he worships him in that worshipful posture. He says, Lord, if you'll just come and help, I know you can help my daughter. And so Jesus agrees to go with him. Why? Why, why no discussion? I think, personally, I think it's because of that. It's just in response to his faith. This man trusts me, and I'm here to help people who will trust me, and so I'm going to go with him. Let that sink in. Jesus doesn't... He doesn't give a discussion. When we come to Him with a need, He says, okay, I'm your man. I'm here. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to help in, in, in the ways that will be best for you. You see, Jairus' daughter couldn't come to Jesus that day. She's too sick. She can't come to Him. But she had a dad who said, I'm going to bring Jesus to her. Isn't that good? 
one of the best things any earthly father can do is take Jesus to his family, isn't it? Whether it's a child or a wife or whoever it might be. So he sought to bring Jesus to her. And I want you to imagine, if you can, the sense of urgency that Jairus would have had at this point. His daughter is at the point of death. We don't know, we're not told how far away his house was. I've got three daughters. And I can only imagine if one of them was at the point of death and I and the, the pain it would be or how hard it would be to leave her side and go somewhere to find Jesus. So Jairus is gone. He's told his wife, I know Jesus can help. I'm going to go get him. And I'll be back as quick as I can. So there's a sense of urgency. He doesn't want, uh, he doesn't want to be too late when he gets back. So try to imagine that if you will. Jesus says, I'll go with you. And so they, they start on their way to Jairus' house. And then in verses 25 through 27, we see there's a bit of a wrinkle in the plan, isn't it? Jairus has got this sense of urgency. We've got to get there quickly. But something happens that they're not expected. A woman, we're told, who had an issue of blood for 12 years came in the crowd. Now, the, those who study these things say that was a, probably a bleeding of a feminine kind. And it had been going on for 12 years. It didn't stop. Now, it wasn't... I'm going to go out on a limb and say it wasn't a hemorrhage or she would have died long before, but it was just this steady loss of blood, this steady um, loss of the iron in her blood. Can you imagine how weak she would be, how anemic she would be after 12 years of this? She's got a serious need. This woman um, would have had a hard time even getting around. Wouldn't she? She would have been so weak. And she's trying to catch up with Jesus and this crowd of people going down the road. And so we're told here that she had suffered many things from many doctors. Anybody here ever had that happen? Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Then we're told that the doctors had taken all of her money. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And then we're told that she wasn't any better and she was actually worse. Now that starts to sound way too familiar, doesn't it, in America in 2023. We have doctors, we go to them, we go to them with a lot of things, they take our money, and sometimes we're not any better where we got there. And sometimes we even feel worse after we see the doctors. Well, that's what had happened to this woman. Her condition is worse than just a physical condition, though, because she was bleeding. And in Leviticus, the law of, of God had said that a woman, a Jewish woman, who had an issue of blood was ceremonially unclean. She was ceremonially unclean until seven days after the bleeding stopped, which would be good if the bleeding had stopped, but it's been going on for 12 years. What does that mean? It means that for 12 years she has been ceremonially unclean. She couldn't even go to the temple to worship, to the place of prayer, to offer the sacrifices because she was so set apart because of this issue of blood. And the Word of God also said, the law of God said that anyone who touched her as long as she was having an issue of blood would be unclean until sundown, until the evening. So can you imagine this woman who's, who's had this problem for 12 years, can you imagine how her circle of friends at this point? They probably dried up. If they're devout Jews, I can't go near her because I'll be unclean until evening. I, I, maybe I'll just stay away from her. I don't, I don't know what to say to her. She looks really sick. And, I, and so you can almost imagine she's living a, a, a very lonely life at this point. But she hears that Jesus is coming by. 
Why again is Jesus coming by this way? Because the Father went to get him and said, I need you to come help my daughter. So not only is Jairus bringing Jesus to his daughter, he's now brought Jesus across the path of this woman who's been suffering for 12 years. And so she's, she's unclean. She heard of Jesus and she came to Him. And then we're told that she touched His garment. She said, and her reason in verse 28 was, uh, if I may but touch His clothes, I shall be whole. That's a little superstitious, isn't it? But can you imagine again? This is a woman who's anemic. She's lost blood for 12 years. She's probably thinking, I'll never get close enough to touch Him, but maybe I can, I can move fast enough to get just where I can touch the hem of His garment. And that'll be good enough. Because she's heard about Jesus too. She knows what His power is. And so, her faith, while it might have been a little misguided, it was rewarded, wasn't it? Because we're told in verse 29, the result was immediate healing. Now, I like Mark's Gospel. Because, I don't know if you ever notice if you read it, it's a Gospel of action. We're talking about it in Sunday school. You know, some things in the, in the Word of God, it just moves along really slowly and everything, not Mark's gospel. You read words like, even in this passage, you read words like something happened straightway. It happened immediately. It's like, there's Mark is like, Jesus has a mission, he's a ministry, and he's moving from one place. Boom, 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 as quickly as he can. And so that's what we see here. She was healed immediately. It says that straightway the fountain of her blood dried up. She felt, we're told, the healing in her body. That weakness, that anemic feeling, it was gone now because she'd been healed because of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got a feeling that uh, when she went into that crowd that day, she was probably just as pale as, as the sheet of paper that my notes are on here. But when that healing took place, I believe, I believe there was rosiness in her cheeks again. She looked healthy again. She was able to get up. She was spry at that point because it, was, it, had, been, it, uh, it had been completely healed. Verse 30 says that tells us, uh, here's that word again, Jesus knew immediately that healing power had left him. Well, of course he did. He was the Son of God. He knew exactly. Jesus knew exactly before he started down that path to Jairus that he was going to meet this woman this day, didn't he? Nothing, nothing escaped him. But he turned in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples were told in verse 31 they didn't get it. We've talked about that before. It's not totally unusual for Jesus' disciples in those days not to get it. There were a few things they didn't get. But I'm, I'll repeat again, it's not that difficult to imagine the disciples of Jesus today who don't get it sometimes. I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, there's, time, there's times I don't get it. And I am a follower of Jesus. And sometimes someone else can remind me of what it is I missed. Sometimes it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit moving. But sometimes we just don't get it. They're like, oh, Lord, do you see how many people there are here? And you're asking, who touched my clothes? There's got to be three dozen people who have bumped into you since we left the, the Sea of Galilee. What do you mean? But Jesus had a purpose for asking that question. He has a purpose for everything, doesn't He? We're told in verse 32 that He surveyed the crowd. I think He looked around. He stopped by this point, And He's looking around at everyone in the crowd. Who touched my clothes? Until He locks eyes on that woman. And she knows that He knows. And so we're told that, uh, that she, she spilled the beans, so to speak. But I want you to imagine at that point the silence of the crowd. When Jesus stopped and asked that question, who touched my clothes? They're sitting there thinking, or standing there thinking, I think I might have bumped into him a while ago. Is he mad at me? 
I hope I didn't do something I shouldn't have done. Imagine a question, what's, what's going on? What's he going to do now? What's going to happen next? But I also want you to re- imagine Jairus' reaction at this point. Jairus now, he's, he's on a time schedule. His daughter is at, the, at her last breath. Can you imagine the questions that are going through his mind? What are we waiting for? My daughter is sick. She's dying. So what if someone touched his clothes? Does that really matter? Does it make any difference? My daughter is dying. Could we just move on? I I can imagine that being what's going through Jairus' mind at that point. Can't you? That's why I say imagine it because that's what would be going through our minds, isn't it? But we have to remember the God we serve, the Lord we serve has a reason for everything, doesn't He? And so we stop this crowd and he says, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And the woman that we're told in verse forty or verse thirty-three, she came forward, and what does it say? She fell down before Jesus. We we have seen just in the last few minutes that same posture, haven't we? She did the very same thing Jairus did. She fell down before him. As Lord and Master, this is a worship posture again. And we're told that she came with fear and trembling. I think that's a proper attitude sometimes to have before the Son of Almighty God, that we come sometimes with fear and with trembling. She knew, we're told, that she'd been healed, and there was no doubt in her mind who was responsible for that healing. It was Jesus, the one that she had come, the one whose garment she had touched. He's the one who would heal her. And then look at what it tells us. She told him all the truth. I think she went through that whole story. Lord, I had this, this bleeding issue, and I've had it for 12 years, and you wouldn't believe the number of doctors I went to, and they told me to do this, and they told me to do that, and they never, none of it ever helped. I don't have any money now because I paid them all this stuff, and I knew when I heard you coming that it was you coming by. I knew if I could just get close to you that you could heal me. And she's telling all of this to Jesus. She told him all the truth but she told it to everyone else in that crowd too because they're all standing there by this point silent and they're listening and they're hearing this story of this woman of what the Lord has done for her. Sharing what Jesus does for us is good, isn't it? Because it encourages everyone who hears it. We, we can go to prayer and we can say, Lord, you did this for me and, and I'm so glad you did, but sometimes it's good if we let other Christians know or other people around us know what the Lord's done for us. And that's what this woman did. And Jesus told her in verse 34, He said, Her faith, that is her faith in Him, not in the hem of His garment, her faith in Him had made her whole. He said that she could go in peace and not have any more worries about that sickness. He called her a plague. He said, It's gone now. Your faith in Me has brought that to pass. You don't have it anymore. And He gave her something that all the human doctors in the world could never have given her. He gave her that, that healing. He gave her that peace. And what made it possible again? Jairus had brought Jesus this way for this woman out of his concern. He had brought Jesus down this path. Again, let that sink in. Fathers here, men here, there's nothing more than nothing better that we could do for anyone than to bring Jesus into their lives, is there? There's a lesson that we can learn there. Meanwhile, we're told in verse 35 that uh, some messengers came from Jairus' house and told him that uh, his daughter had died. And I think we can only imagine uh, what what that might have done to Jairus, what kind of shock that might have been, because he was so certain that Jesus could help his daughter. There was no question in his mind that day when he left home, Jesus can help. I'm going to go get him, and I'm going to see if he'll come here. 
because he can heal my daughter. So you can imagine what's going through his mind at this point. Your daughter's dead, sir. There's no reason for you to bother the master anymore. So you imagine Jairus standing there thinking, so uh, what now? What am I going to do now? I was so sure that he was the one who could help. Well, look what Jesus said. His response was, be not afraid, only believe. Literally that meant, keep on believing me. You came to me. You came, you thought I could help you. I still can help you. Just, just keep on believing me. Keep trusting me. Because Jesus taught that we should believe in Him not just when life is easy, but we should believe in Him when things are falling apart too. And right now, in Jairus' mind, things have fallen completely apart. He's lost his little girl. And so Jesus says, don't worry about that. Just, just keep believing. How many people have taken comfort in those words, you reckon, since the day they were spoken here? Countless. And you know what? Those words are still as powerful today as they were when he, when Jesus spoke them to Jairus and to the people in this crowd. Be not afraid, only believe. So in verse 37, we see that uh, Jesus, he set out again for Jairus' house. And this time he told the crowd, you can't come this time. He only allowed Peter and James and John, the three apostles that we see uh, in, in a few places in Scripture that seem to have been the closest, his inner circle. And I can only imagine him telling the other nine apostles, look, I need you guys to stay here. I need you to take care of this crowd. They came here with problems. And you've heard my teaching. You know what it is that you're supposed to do. You stay here and help this crowd. And I'm going to take these other three, and I'm going to take Jairus, and we're going to go to his house and take care of some stuff. We'll be back after a while. I think Jesus does that to his, his followers, doesn't he? Sometimes he says, I've taught you what to do. Now it's time for you to do it. I'll be back after a while. Isn't that what he told us, by the way, when he ascended into heaven? I'll be back after a while. You just keep on keeping on. And I'll be back. So that's what he did here. And he set out for Jairus' house. In verses 38 and 39, we're told that he arrived there. And what he found when he got there was confusion. He found uh, mourners. He found people that were weeping. People that were wailing. He found a grief-stricken mother. He already had a grief-stricken father with him. And we can only imagine what's going through their lives because if we read in Luke's account of these same of the same series of events we're told that that was their only daughter I don't know from scripture if that means that she was an only child who happened to be a daughter or if maybe they had sons but this was the only daughter but I can tell you from being the father of daughters if that were your only daughter that would be a very special little girl and so you can imagine the grief that they're going through and you can imagine the questions. What if that woman hadn't stopped us on the way here? Would, I, would we have gotten here soon enough? But Jesus is said, don't worry. Just keep believing. I can take care of this. And so, Jesus asked the, the people there, He said, what's all this fuss about? He's just sleeping. I can only imagine their reaction at that point as, as well. What are you talking about? She's sleeping. She's dead. She's, she's not coming back. What, what, who are you? What turnip truck did you just fall off of? And we're told in verse 40 that people laughed him to scorn. People still laugh at Jesus, don't they? They laugh at his words, don't they? But I'm going to stand here and I'm going to tell you on the authority of Scripture, he's never once been wrong, has he? And he never will be wrong. And when he said, she's just sleeping, everything's all right, just keep believing, that's exactly what he meant. And we're told that he made the scoffers leave. Now I think that's just great. He said, get out. There, would be, there was going to be no room for unbelief at that point. 
You don't believe me? Leave and do it now. And so he made them all go. And we're told that he took Jairus and Jairus' wife, the grieving parents, and he took his three apostles, and he went into the room with that little girl. In verse 41, it says he took her hand and he told her she could get up from the dead. That's quite astounding, isn't it? Again, there, there's no, it's, it's very simple. It's to the point. There's no fuss, no muss, no hocus pocus, no special incantations or anything. Just the words of the Master. And we're told what they were, Talitha Kumi. That means literally, young girl, rise. It's time to get up. Sweetheart, it's time to get up now. Snap. Nap time's over. And you got, you got some parents here that are worried about you, so it's time for you to get up now. And verse 42, there's this, there's this word again, straightway, we're told. She got up from the dead. The Master's words are always effective, aren't they? She got up, and we're told that she walked. She'd been sick for some time. We don't know how sick. We don't know what the problem was. But just like the woman who'd had an issue of blood all those years, she was healed. She got her strength back. Well, this little girl, I don't know how sick she was, but she got up off that bed and she walked. And we're told she was 12 years old. The same number of years that that woman had suffered from that that issue of blood, this little girl had been growing up. Some, someone has said that uh, Jairus' daughter had been living for 10 years and that that woman had been dying slowly for that same 10 years, getting weaker and weaker every day. And both of them were important to the Lord Jesus. Both of them were brought in contact with the Lord Jesus because of that godly father who said, I'm going to go get someone who can help. And he brought them uh, in contact with them. We're told in verse 42 that the adults in that room were astonished with a great astonishment. If there's ever been an understatement, I think that's probably it. Now, Jairus had seen a couple of great things that day. He'd seen a woman who was so anemic she could probably barely get around be brought to perfect health because Jesus had said, your faith has made you whole. And now he's seen his daughter, who is dead, be raised from the dead. So uh, they were astonished. Verse 43, I like this. Jesus charged them uh, not to share the details. Why? Because this wasn't a publicity statement. If he'd wanted publicity, he could have let the whole crowd come with him and the other nine apostles. He wasn't looking for publicity here. He was looking to help someone. A father had put faith in him that he could help his little girl. And he said, yes, I can. And I'll come do it for you. She had been raised miraculously at this point, but Jesus told them to get her something to eat. Raised miraculously, yes, but she still had some, she had issues. She's 12. She's a teenager. She's hungry. She's been sick for a while. Maybe not being able to, to eat anything. So get her something to eat. She'll be fine. She's already up walking around. All Everything's going to be okay here. There's some lessons for us to learn from this passage. This is a great series of events. Isn't it? It's encouraging to us. We see the Lord Jesus being sought when there was a problem. We see Him meeting the problem. There's some lessons for us to learn. One is, never, ever underestimate the, uh, the importance of a father bringing Jesus to his family. Don't ever let that escape. You know, some of us here, our kids are we're grown. They're, they've got kids of their own. They're married. We still have a responsibility to bring Jesus into their lives and make sure they're reminded of who he is and what he can do for them. And even if we don't have kids of our own, we have that responsibility to bring the Lord Jesus to as many people as we can, don't we?
because that's what he's left us here to do as Christians. Preferably, we want to bring Jesus to them before tragedy strikes, don't we? And in the process of bringing Christ to people in our families, we may just bring him in contact with other people too, and that's always good. So that's one lesson we can learn. Don't ever underestimate the importance of bringing people to Christ or bringing Jesus to them. A second lesson we can learn is believe the Lord without doubting, even when the unexpected happens. Yeah, Jairus, it was easy for Jairus to believe Jesus could come and help his daughter. It might have been a little harder when that woman stopped him and interrupted him. But we need to learn. We need to trust Him even when the unexpected happens. The third lesson, delays may shake us up. They may shake us to the core, but they don't ever thwart God's plan, do they? Corey Ten Boom wrote uh, this. She said, there's no panic in heaven, only plans. God's going to get His plans done no matter what. And if a wrinkle gets thrown in occasionally, from our perspective, God says, ah, that's not a problem. Don't be afraid. Just keep believing. Adrian Rogers, he's, a, he's a, a pastor. He's going to be with the Lord now. He said this, the Holy Trinity never meets in emergency session. I like those words, don't you? God doesn't get it. No, there is no emergency with God. We can have all kinds of emergencies. We can rush around like our hair's on fire. And the Lord says, calm down. What did the, the Lord say? Be not afraid. I want to believe. I'm going to take care of this. Another lesson that we can learn, sometimes problems may linger. This woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. Problems can linger. Let that strengthen us, not weaken us. Let it strengthen our faith. Because we know that God has obligated Himself to meet our needs and take care of us. And so we can we can hang our faith, our hats on that, so to speak. Another lesson we learned, Jesus is Lord over sickness. That woman was healed, we're told, in the words of Mark, straightway, immediately she was healed. Another lesson, Jesus is Lord over death. Always. God, our God is Lord over death. Isaiah 25 8 says He will swallow up death in victory, talking about the Messiah. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, I'll say this Jesus is not obligated to heal our sicknesses. Jesus will not always show up at a funeral and raise the dead. We don't hear of that happening now. But He still is Lord over our sicknesses, He is Lord over our lives, our deaths. And he has said, if you were a believer, to be absent from this body and death is to be immediately present with the Lord where you will never be separated from him again. Isn't that great to know? So, Jesus is Lord over sickness. He's Lord over death. The last lesson that I'll bring out, this one is a sad one. There are still people who laugh at Jesus. There are still people who laugh him to scorn. And that's very sad because tragically, anyone who continues in their disbelief uh, continues to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they face eternal separation from a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace. And that is a terrible lesson for someone to learn. Now, no one here in this building wants anyone to ever learn that lesson, do we? But it's there. And so it's our job to be like Jairus and to try to bring Jesus to people, try to bring people to Him every chance that we get. So I hope that we can all uh, learn from these lessons from uh, the life of a, of a godly father. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for allowing us to look into your word. If only briefly this morning, we pray uh, that, uh, Father, we would learn these lessons uh, as we study the life of Jairus and of this woman who'd had the issue of blood for 12 years and this little girl who had died and, and how Jesus interacted with them. He saw needs. He met those needs. 
And Father, we know that isn't always the, the way it happens. There are, there are people uh, who, who are sick. They've been sick for very long periods of time and you have you've not completely healed them. But as Christians, you do give them grace for each day that comes. And we pray, Lord, that when that happens to, to in any of our lives, when tragedy strikes, when any kind of uh, discouragement uh, happens to us and seems to linger year after year, we just pray, Lord, that you'd allow that to strengthen our faith in you. That we would trust you day by day to give us the, uh, the breath, the life that we need for that day. And that we might look forward to that time when uh, this life is over and we're immediately ushered into your presence. Where there will be no more pain, there will be no more uh, tears, there will be no more uh, separation from you. But we'll be in your presence forevermore. We pray that you'd strengthen us with that. But Lord, we pray also that you would impress upon our minds there are people who still laugh at Jesus. They laugh at His words. They laugh at His claims. And Father, that burdens us. And we pray if there's anyone here today who has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would recognize how precarious that situation is. If they should, if they should leave this life now, they'll be eternally separated uh, from a God of love and mercy and grace. And we don't want to see that happen. So if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ, we pray this would be the day that they would come to You in saving faith and that they could be delivered from their sin just as this woman was delivered from a physical ailment and that they could be raised in newness of life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.